the last service, we had a, a whole number of guests. And it was interesting for me, uh, the things that we've been talking about here together are, are, are um, perhaps differently presented than some other congregations. And I was watching people trying to track with what I was saying. So I want to say thank you to you because I think we're trying to track together and trying to do it well. So thank you so much. Let's look at Ephesians 6 first. And I want to just put this in context, what we're going to read in Acts. So Ephesians chapter 6, just look at verses 10 and 12, and then we're going to unpack it in chapter 19 of Acts. Acts, Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. Here's a purpose clause. Here's why. So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle, that means hand-to-hand combat, is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Again, verse 12. For our struggle, our fight, is not against flesh and blood, but our struggle is against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. Purpose clause, why? So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. So that is a precursor to looking at Acts 19. Could you look at Acts 19 now? And I'm going to read and kind of teach through it. Uh, And then I wonder if we could have some, perhaps some conversation uh, after that. So these are the kinds of questions I'd like to just have you think about as a reading. So we're talking about a battle. So here are a couple questions. What forces of darkness, what powers of darkness are you dealing with today? Are we dealing with today? What demonic forces, powers principalities and powers in heavenly places. What spiritual battles are we engaged in? Are you engaged in? How about this question? How is the kingdom of God invading places of darkness and evil in our world, in your world today? How is the kingdom of God invading? And then with that, how is the spiritual darkness counterattacking. How, how is the kingdom pushing in? How is it pushing back? And then specifically, what role do each of us have to play in this battle? So let's, let's go through Acts 19 and then have some conversation. Please hear the word of the Lord. Can I have the map a minute, Jim? While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. So if you look up at your map now, this is the third missionary journey. So he's starting in Antioch, And what he's going to do is he's going to go by foot all the way to Ephesus. So intentionally, he's going through Derby, Lystra, Iconium, Antioch of Asia. He's trying to reinforce, encourage, bless, and help all those churches that he's been previously planted. Remember, the churches are not a big church. These are house churches. So he's going back. He wants to encourage and strengthen all those churches. Verse 2. In verse 1, then he found some disciples in Ephesus and said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? 
They answered, no, we not even heard there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. And there were about 12 men in all. I don't want to talk about the baptism of the Spirit right now, because it's such a multifaceted and important conversation. I can't do it quickly. But what I want you to observe is the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon them. Now, what I want you to pay attention to that is because we're going to enter into this, in this chapter an amazing spiritual battle. In fact, I'm going to suggest to you that of all the spiritual battles in the book of Acts, this is the most multi-layered. There is demonic power, hand-to-hand combat, as though you are fighting a demon yourself. There is, in the context of this text, there is some higher-level demonic power that is infiltrating a region and area. And then there is a principality. There is a powerful demonic being that is affecting literally the Roman world. (coughs) Excuse me. So the reason I'm I'm bringing this now is because I want to keep trying to carefully, without becoming uh, scary, to have you pay attention to the spiritual battle that's all around us. Let me just give you one example. In a few minutes, I'm going to use a phrase like this. The demonic often seeks to infiltrate art and architecture. And I'm going to show you in this story how the enemy infiltrates. So take the idea, art is infiltrated. How about movies that we are presently being invited to watch today? What trailers do you see in your home Or if you actually go to a movie theater, what trailers do you see and what kinds of themes are present? A goodly number are carrying images straight from hell. Look at some of the scary, scary, scary stuff that's being expressed. Now, I'm observing we have become so desensitized to this that we can watch these things and just kind of blow it off. But I was resensitized last week as we cared for our grandchildren because they don't get a lot of TV time, no screen time. And at one particular television break, there was something pretty evil. And all three of our grandkids put their faces down on the ground and began to yell because they had never seen that kind of darkness come straight at them. And I thought, I have watched that trailer 50 times. I had thought thing about it. So what I'm poking at here is now, in this story, there are multiple levels of spiritual battle. And we are invited to engage in this battle and to join our risen Jesus, the King of Kings, in bringing his reign to bear. So that's a setup now. Let's take you through this thing and let's just watch how the battle back and forth. So we need the Holy Spirit, verses 1 through 7. So now you're going to have a summary of of a three-year ministry coming in verses 8 through 10. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. That's what Christians were called, people of the way. So Paul left them. 
He took disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture, of, lecture hall of Tyrrhenius. This went on for two years. Now look, look at this. So that, purpose clause, all the Jews and Greeks who live in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Look up at your map. Look at the province. Look, look, look what they're talking How much are they talking about are being exposed to Jesus? But I, it raises, the next for two verses raise a question. What are the next two verses? So God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. So that, purpose clause again, keep looking for the so that. This is, this is very important when you read scripture. That even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick. And their illnesses were cured and evil spirits left them. Now, hold your finger there. Turn over to page 1,129. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. So St. Paul is going to write about how he ministered. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, get verses 4 and 5. So this is what he wrote in this time. Verse 4, chapter 2, verse 4. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Why do we normally need more of the Spirit? For his power, purpose clause, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Okay, now back to chapter 19, verse 11. He did extraordinary miracles, and then everyone saw. So look up again. Why was this whole region impacted? So let me again just reinforce this idea. It wasn't because Paul was such a persuasive speaker. He just said, I'm not a good speaker. He impacted people because he showed evidence that Jesus is alive. He did words and deeds of power. And I need to stop. This, this is just so hard for us. We're, we have been so enlightened. We have been, maybe back up. My, these are my opinions of whatever they're worth. But Roman and Greek thought has superseded the Hebraic understanding of Scripture, which is our roots. And Roman and Greek thought and the Enlightenment have moved the Christian faith primarily to cognitive stuff. It's what we know. It's what we believe. And that is so important. But we've lost half the message. And we don't even know how to do this. So in our church family, we are dealing with significant levels of illness and sickness and death and all that. And I want to acknowledge all that. But in the midst of that, we don't quite know how to bring the kingdom in these difficult, challenging moments. That is part of the journey that we're on as a church family. We're going to need to live in more of the Spirit's power that we can learn increasingly how to join the risen Christ in the fullness of ministry acknowledging that sometimes the responses are different. So let me name reality. We are in a battle. And sometimes in this brief time on the earth, we win and sometimes we lose. So yesterday we went to the cemetery in Pella and Oskaloosa and New Sharon. And we went to our son's grave. And we stood there and the grass is now completely grown over Kirk's, Kirk's body. We wept because we lost a son. 
But reality is, he's more alive now than he ever has been. So reality is, we're in a battle and there are losses. But reality is, Christ has won. And we will always eventually win. Yes? yes. See, that, that's what So, Paul is bringing the fullness of the kingdom here. I'm losing now. I've got to go faster. Okay, bring some more energy. Here we go. Verse 13. So, now watch the spiritual counterattack to this good kingdom stuff that's happening. So, some of the Jews who were driving out evil spirits tried to invoke, and Mike said this and is sharing with us, to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I know about, but who are you? Now that should tell you something. Just think about demons here. I'm, I'm going to do a lot of educating about demonic stuff today. Demons are not omnipresent, omniscient. They are only able to do and think in one place at one time. Demons cannot read your mind. They can hear what you say. Jesus I know, Paul I heard about. So this is one of the reasons why I always have my card. I pray out loud all the time because I want demons to hear who Jesus is and what Jesus has accomplished and what Jesus gives to his people. They don't know unless you speak. So we're going to, we, need to, we, we need to be more vocal in saying what we believe. I mean, I'm going to just, I'm going to segue, segue out on. Mike, if you're here, just do one song at the back end. It is amazing to me when you deal with demonic, when you work, cast out demons and deal with demonic stuff, it is amazing how terrified demons are of the words of Jesus, the name of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, the cross of Jesus. If you actually get involved in trying to set someone free, demonic power, and you just start naming these things, there is a reaction in a person because they cannot cope with the fullness of who Jesus is. So these guys are, these are quacks. You're going to see in just a moment, they're just, in the name of Jesus. Now, think about this. In this day, in this day, 2,000 years ago, there were all kinds of Jewish exorcists who were casting out demons somehow, probably through some level of occultic kinds of stuff, different than what Jesus does and what we can do. So, the sons of Sceva are talking about this Jesus thing. Verse 15, one day the evil spirit answered them, I know Jesus, I know Paul, I know about you, who are you? He jumped on the man. And they powered them. He gave such a beating, they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. And look at what happens in verse 17. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Why? Because they were so infected, impacted by their demons. So let me just show you the demon who was a at this point, worldwide demon. Can I have the picture, please? Here's the temple of Artemis. This, this temple, let me give you this, the dimensions. It is 450 feet long. That's a football field and a half. It is 225 feet wide. 
That is four football, sideways football fields. Every one of those columns, there are 127 columns, is 60 feet tall. That is higher than the highest point of the sanctuary. Every one, 120, and they're covered with gold, and there are jewels embedded. So all the people in this whole region, according to a second century Roman historian, the single most worshipped thing being in the world was right here, Artemis. And she influenced the Roman world. People would carry on their bodies small little amulets, and this is going to become part of the conflict in a few verses. They would wear these things because if they wore those things, they were protected from other demonic power. And from this place is something called the Ephesian writings. And these were occult curses and, and spells that were sent out. And we're going to see about that in just a minute too. This, this, this demonic being is huge. No, art and architecture. Look at the size of that building. Can you imagine if you are a poor person in Ephesus? 250,000 people. And that is your center. Now what about the art side? So let me tell you how, how Artemis came about. Legend has it that she was a meteor, and she fell to the earth, sent to the earth, landed in this temple. The demonic influences art. She had 21 or more breasts. She had breasts all over her body, and she was worshipped as the goddess of fertility. So power... Beauty, fertility, and this is influencing the whole Roman world. This is what Paul is engaged with. So, what happens? Verse 17, when this became known to the Jews and the Greeks, this powerful name of Jesus, the demons beating up people because they didn't know Jesus, look what happens in verse 18. Many of those who believe now came and openly confessed what they had done. They had made allegiance, alliances, relationships with demons. Artis, Artemis, Artemis. A number who had practiced sorcery, the Ephesian scrolls, burned their scrolls together and burned together and publicly burned them. When they calculated the values of the, scroll, the, the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas, which today is $4 million. Now look at verse 20. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Back to the map. So what happened here is Paul is preaching and exhibiting the work of the kingdom, and it is being heard and seen in Asia, in Mysia, in, Bith in Bith 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 whatever that one is up there. All that whole region, and what is being seen? Jesus has power over all kinds of demons. Let me, let, me, let me read something to you. Yale University, not known as a hotbed of Christianity. A Yale historian, Ramsey McMullen, in a book entitled Christianizing the Roman Empire. Let me read one paragraph. According to McMullen, the chief factor, the chief factor for the astounding spread of Christianity for four centuries was the power ministries seen in miracles and healings, but mostly in the getting rid of the demons. The manhandling of demons, humiliating them, making them howl, beg for mercy, tell their secrets, and depart in a hurry, served a purpose quite essential to the Christian definition of monotheism. 
It showed that Jesus Christ has power over all. Now, this is a Yale historian. How much power is in the name of Jesus? Go back to the temple. So Paul does not address Artemis directly, but 60 years later, St. John did. So let me tell you what happened 60 years later. The apostle John walked into that place and he called out the demon Artemis and the building collapsed. The building collapsed. And the church in Ephesus, can I go to the last slide please? The church in Ephesus became the hotbed of Christianity for the next 200 years. I'm sorry, give me the um, number, four, number five, please. Forgive me, Jim. And house churches were planted in all these places, in, into Turkey, after that temple collapsed. So we're talking about a spiritual battle that is significant here. Well, let's go back to our passage. I just went ahead just a little bit. So, verse 23, now there's a pushback. There's a, look at the level of pushback. About that time there arose a great disturbance about the way. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, little tiny idols, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. He called them together along with the workers in related trades and said, you know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people. Look at the next phrase. Here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. Okay, now map again, Jim. So what he's saying is, whatever this Paul guy is doing is affecting this whole area from Ephesus, east of Tarsus, north of the Bithynia, all of that, and what is happening? Large numbers of people are being turned. Now, why is that such a big deal? Look, look where Ephesus is. You can't see it well, but Ephesus was on water, and the river was silting up. There's, there's, it's really amazing to me to watch. Here, watch the story. The river is silting, so how would a city of 250,000 people prosper economically? Go back to the temple picture. It became a tourist center. Let me give you an example. What would happen if Las Vegas lost its water? Ephesus was losing its water. So what drove it economically and what drove it spiritually was this. And what is, it, what is this Demetrius saying? This crazy guy Paul, he's wrecking it for us. You're going to lose your income. You're going to lose your jobs. You're going to be on welfare. You got no choice. Oh, no. So now, who's behind this? Well, let's see what happens next. What happens next? Verse 27. There is danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited. And the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world will be robbed of her divine majesty. 
When they heard this, they were furious, and they began shouting. And this is a phrase that is used. It's really, it's really pithy in, in Greek. Great is Artemis, our teachings. They just yelled it for two hours, screaming it. Soon the whole city was in uproar. The people seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions to Macedonia. And all of them rushed into the theater together, a theater, 24,000-seat theater. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent a message begging him not to venture into the theater. The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most people did not even know where they were there. The Jews in the crowd pushed Alexander to the front, and they shouted instructions to him. He motioned for the crowd, 24,000 people, for silence or make a defense. But when they realized he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison, 24,000 people for two hours. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city clerk starts it, stops it from 35 to 41, and it ends. Now, what's the point? The point is simple. The kingdom of God has come to Ephesus. And the kingdom of God comes in word and deed. Invasion, here comes the kingdom, and there's pushback. In, out. Uh, and it's relentless, relentless. Now, do you see why Paul says, we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in the heavenly places? Can I just again say this to all of us? You are in a battle. And your enemy is always looking to lie, accuse, steal, or kill. This is not a game, folks. It is not a game. And if you read, if you listen, the intensity of the battle is increasing. Let me put it in context for you. When Jesus came to earth, I'm going to use military terms. I've done this before. When Jesus came to earth, it was like D-Day in World War II, 1944. When D-Day succeeded, the Nazis knew the end was coming. But the war lasted one more year, 1945. Now listen to this. More people died in the last year than all the years before. Because the intensity of the battle increased dramatically. The Bible says we are moving toward the end of time when Jesus comes back. Is this a fair thing for me to say? The intensity of the battle is getting higher. Is that true? With all respect, if you don't think it is, could I encourage you to ask the Lord to open your eyes a little bit? It's intense. But, but, we have the Holy Spirit. And that's how the chapter started. We have the presence of the risen Christ in us. Greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. Do you believe that? Do you live that? Do you live out of that? Now, let me back you up some more. Come with me sometime, and I'm not asking you to do it, but I'm just making a hyper, hyper, um, if you could come with me 
to some place when, when several brothers are asked to cast out some demons. So let me just tell you a couple stories. So when uh, a woman about 40 came to see me and said, I'm, being, I'm troubled, I can't sleep well, some different things, could you pray with me? I said, sure. So I said, and I put my hand on your shoulder. I put my hand on her shoulder. She hit the floor, and she started slithering like a snake on the floor of my office. Or a pastor came to see me, deeply involved in sexual sin. He asked me to pray for him. I said, sure. Put my hand on his shoulder, began to pray, and all of a sudden, he punched me in the head, knocked me on the ground, and tried to choke me. I can tell you story after story after story. When you see the presence and power of evil, and you know the power that's in the name of Jesus, when you recognize that you carry, as a follower of Christ, you have authority in Christ. You have gifts of the Spirit. You have the fruit of the Spirit. You have the power of the Holy Spirit. This is just a few people can do this. This is so crazy. So Dr. Jerry Sitzer's book that's coming out soon talks about the first three centuries of the Christian church. And in the house churches, this is second century documents. We have clear verification. Second century. There were house churches that had someone who prayed for the sick, someone who cast out demons, and someone who cared for the poor in all the house churches in particular cities. This was just part of the Christian life. Now let me ask you this question. Do you understand you're in a spiritual battle? This is why relationship abiding in Christ is such a big deal. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the risen Christ presence in you. Do you understand what's available in you through you? Because Christ is alive. And in the midst of the battle, we, always, we have to always recognize there is a mystery. There's a mystery to so much of this. So when Kirk died, the, 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 the verse that just, I just wrestled with, so Isaiah 55, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways above your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. But then I had these words that rang through me over and over in all the funerals since March 20, 2018. I say this at every graveside, which is what I said over my son as he was dying. If we live, we live to ourselves. And if we die, we die to ourselves. So if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So if we live or if we die, we are the Lord's. What is our only comfort in life and in death? That we belong to Jesus. And because of that, we can engage these spiritual battles and we can say, Lord, give us what I need to be your woman, your man, your boy, or your girl. So what themes do I see here? Can I see slide number four? So you see this consistent theme of Acts, invasion, the counterattack. 
back and forth and back and forth. So I would observe in our life together as persons and as a church family, we're going to have three steps forward. We see victory and joy, and then we have difficult seasons. We take two steps back, but we still made progress. And then we take three steps forward. There's this back and forth and back and forth, a spiritual battle. It will not stop until we are with Jesus. Can I just, I'll make that really clear. We need more of the Holy Spirit. We need to ask, Lord, fill me, fill me, fill me, fill me, fill me over and over and over with your presence, your power, your goodness. I need more of you. I want long for more of you. I need to be connected to you. The kingdom of God advances in word and deeds. I, I just got to tell you some couple quick stories. It's been so fun for me. So what's, I don't mean, this is, not, this is not intended to be a sexist comment. So if it is, forgive me. But what I observe is women are often so much more open to the things of the Spirit, the things of the Lord. They just tend to be more open is what I observe. But what's been really fun for me to watch in this last year is how many men are engaging with the Lord because of the book of Acts. I'm observing, I, I couldn't believe it. I had a meeting at a, a different, a, a place I saw a guy from our church who I never thought, ever, had his arm around a dude in a parking lot and was praying for him. Two years ago, that man said to me, if you ever ask me to pray publicly, I will literally walk out of this building. Two years later, I'm watching him pray in a, in a parking lot in a place over here. The kingdom comes when we say and we do what Jesus said and did. So let's start real simply. Let's be kind. Did you hear what I just said? Let's be kind. I was up town yesterday picking up some stuff, and I will spell the word. Some guy walked up to me and said, you the preacher at Third Church? I said, yeah, I'm one of them. He says, what in the H-E-L-L do you preachers do all day long? I said, well, I sing songs, and I, mostly kumbaya, <laughs> and, um, and, and I dance, and I have fun, and I love Jesus, and it's all good. I didn't say that. What I really wanted to say was, this man needs to be acknowledged. This man actually wants a conversation. And by picking at me, what he's really saying is, are you going to push the way? Are you going to let me come in? So what I said to him is, you know, I work one day a week for three hours, but it's a great retirement. And he laughed and said, no, can we really talk? Absolutely. So I came from there, and I came back here, and I was walking through the buildings doing some prayers. This was yesterday. In the auditorium, the lights were off. And I turned the lights on because I was going to check. I was going to cleanse the room with holy water. And there was a young woman sitting in the corner who I'd never met before. And she was weeping significantly. And in conversation, I guess she was probably demonized. So I sat with her for a while and just prayed over her and gave her a hug. Said, if you need help, you come back. This morning at the first service, she walked in. She walked down. She walked out. But she was here. I know her name. She's 41 years old. Her dad is dying. Her mom won't talk to her. She doesn't have any money. 
She doesn't have any hope. And I'm going to find her. And I'm going to point her to Jesus. Can we be kind? The kingdom of God comes when we're kind. Um, I see. Valerie, can I say something about you? It's okay? Valerie was one of our leaders in tulip time this year, and I was close by when there was a, a difficult situation. And I was so proud of you, how she responded in a difficult situation. Very kindly, very graciously, very appropriately. I was proud of you. You honor Jesus. I'm sitting behind Doug. Doug and I were in a sticky wicket this week, and I needed help. And Doug was very kind and you know, offered some help. I could go around this room. I could just pick up people around the room. Isn't it amazing? The kingdom of God comes in such mysterious ways. Kind ways, small ways, prayer ways, cast demons out ways, kind ways. All that we do, we do in the name of Jesus. Last slides. I'm on slide five. What's interesting to me is uh, what happened after Ephesus. Can I have a slide five, Jim? Sorry, there you go. So after this whole thing happened at Ephesus and Artemis was defeated, all these people, places, became filled with followers of Jesus. And for centuries, some of the bottom ones were powerfully used. For centuries. It's amazing what happens when the kingdom of God advances and evil's pushed back. Fish with this. Lord, may your kingdom come. May your will be done on the earth through us as it is in heaven. Amen? Let's pray. Would you consider, are there any places where you have availed yourself to any kind of evil? If you've made alliances or relationships with any kind of demonic power? If there are any ways you have become an ally with something that is not of the Lord, would you name that, renounce that, in your mind's eye, bring it to the cross and leave it with Jesus. Now would you pray for yourself? And would you pray that you receive, even now, more of the Holy Spirit's goodness and presence and power? Would you pray for yourself and ask for filling? Imagine yourself taking a long, cold drink of water. Ask the Lord to fill you with his presence. Now, would you pray for our cities and this region? Would you pray that the goodness of Jesus would be greater than any idol, or any demonic power or anything opposed to the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
would you in your mind's eye lift high the cross of Christ in the open resurrected tomb? you pray for yourself and pray for courage to live a life that honors Jesus in ways large and small. Lord, we love you and we honor you. We acknowledge you are the king. You are the king of kings and you are the Lord of lords. And the day is coming when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you, Lord Jesus, are the Lord. So help us to live in that reality even now and to express it wherever you send us. May the goodness of your reign, the kindness of your heart, the majesty of your goodness be released wherever we are sent. Lord, may your kingdom come and your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. And we pray together in Jesus' name. Amen.